Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Thank you for choosing to come here on this beautiful Sunday morning to worship with us. Um, we're excited you're here. We're excited to get to sing together, get to pray together, get to learn from God's Word. Um, if you are new to Emmanuel, or if you haven't ever connected with us, if you would pick up a connection card in the seat back in front of you, just give us whatever information you want. You can drop it in a drop box around campus, or you can um, give it to someone at the welcome desk. They can help you to they can help you to connect with uh, joining in, volunteering, and serving in in small groups here at Emmanuel. Um, but we're glad we're here. We're excited about the season that we're in. We're in VBS season for Emmanuel. We have an event tonight. It's a VBS kickoff event. It's called the Will They Stand event. Tonight you'll hear from Shan and you'll hear from Greg Allen, our children's director, just about the heart and vision behind what and why we're doing VBS this year. We'll, we'll sing some of the VBS songs, very scripture-oriented songs, and hear about the theme from this year's VBS. Signups for volunteers and now for children are open. So if you have elementary school age children and you want them to be involved in VBS this year, please go ahead and sign them up through the ebccrestview.com website. And also, we still need a few more volunteers. Um, so please, you can sign up, register at the same place um, if you're wanting to serve VBS. Our VBS is June 25th through the 29th. Also, this coming up Saturday, we are the the Taylors are here. They're in Crestview. They are getting settled into their house. Um, but we, our ladies, are hosting an event. The women's ministry is hosting an event called Meet Meg. It's a a mother daughter potluck from this Saturday. It'll be in the hangar from ten to twelve. So, ladies, bring yourselves and your mom or your daughter and a delicious dish to share, uh, and we can welcome Meg. Uh, to our EBC body. Also, the Heart of the Bride is hosting a missions trip to Kithiano, Kenya. In uh, June 22nd, they'll be gone for uh, 10 or 12 days serving in local school and community outreach and performing a medical clinic, but they need some school supplies. So we have a donation box set up in the cafe. If you'll bring construction paper, pencils, pens, stickers, decorations, those sort of things to help to send with the team. Also, we need some suitcase, somebody to donate suitcases for them to take these supplies and take and leave in country in Kenya. So um, there's a few opportunities to give and serve, but today we're going to join in worship. So I'm going to pray for our service and then we'll begin singing together. Father God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for we thank you for calling us to yourself, God. We thank you for that we get to be together, together to sing and to pray and to read your word. God, we pray that we would be faithful in all of those things. We pray that you would help us live up to our namesake, that you are with us. That was your eternal plan was to be with us. God, we pray that you would teach us about what that means through your word today. We pray that you would bless this time. Bless this service. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we prepare our hearts to worship today? Let me read from Revelation 5. Uh, as we sing the lion and the lamb, let's, let's consider what it means that our God is the lion of Judah and the lamb of God. This all comes together. Scripture teaches us a lot about this, but it comes together in Revelation 5 where John writes this. Then I saw 
in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, seated with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And the, and he, uh, the spirits of God, I'm sorry, sent out on all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Father, we are thankful that you are a firm foundation on which to build our lives. We're thankful that your word is a firm foundation that we can trust. It. We ask that you would give us greater faith this morning to not only hear your word, but to receive it, to believe it as it is, and to be transformed by the power in it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 19, verses 16 through 20, and Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21. In the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And Lord, we worship and adore you above all, for you alone are worthy. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Would you grab your Bibles as you grab your seat and open with me to Exodus chapter 20. As we continue our series trying to understand what it means to be Emmanuel Baptist Church. We call ourselves this name, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us Baptist Church. Well, if we're going to make that claim, then we need to know exactly what we're saying. We need to know what it means when the presence of God is amongst us. 
What are we saying? What are we claiming? And so we're studying for six weeks this theme, the presence of God, throughout the breadth of Scripture. We began last week in Genesis, and this week we moved to Exodus. And in order to understand our text this morning, in order to understand um, the presence of God in this text, we have to understand that sometimes one word can carry multiple meanings. This actually happens all the time. Uh, for example, when Meg and I were first dating, we were dating long distance. I was in Kentucky, and she was in New Orleans, and so it was about 12 and a half hours. So we spent a lot of time on the phone. Uh, we couldn't, for whatever reason, technology seemed to be against us. We couldn't seem to get Skype to work very well, and, and so uh, we didn't even have like nice phones. We didn't have like iPhones or anything like that, just kind of the old bricks, and, and they didn't work that great, especially a lot of times we had to go to our cars to get good service to talk. And so she had texted me, hey, I'll call you ASAP. I'll call you ASAP. So I thought, oh, great. I grab my phone, go out to the car, I sit, and I'm just going to wait. Remember, this is not an iPhone. I'm just, it's real waiting. There's nothing to do, okay? Um, and so I'm sitting there waiting. Five minutes goes by, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. I'm getting pretty upset at this point. I'm kind of steamed. By the time it's two hours and she finally calls, I'm pretty upset, but it was early enough in the relationship that you pretend to be nice when you're angry. Um, and so, you know, I just, you said you were going to call ASAP. It's been two hours. I've been sitting in my car. And she was confused. She said, yeah, I, I called ASAP as soon as possible. This was as soon as I could call. <laughs> I said, when you say it like that, it makes me sound like a dummy, okay? <laughs> and so what I realized in that moment was we were using one word, but meaning two very different things. I took it to mean, I guess the way my family used that phrase was imminently, very soon, it's about to happen. What she means it very literally, as soon as physically possible, I will call you. And so this happens all the time, and it's happening in our text this morning with this word fear. Now in today's language, the word fear almost always has a negative connotation. In fact, I would say always. I can't think of an example, except maybe like haunted houses. Woo! But, um, but in the original language, the word fear was not necessarily a negative thing. The fear of the Lord was in fact a positive thing, something that we should strive to have and to maintain. The fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. Throughout Scripture, we see this phrase, the fear of the Lord, referred to over and over and over, and it is a positive thing. It is something we should strive for. So what exactly does that mean? How is it different from a negative fear? And what does it have to do with the presence of God? Well, let's turn uh, to our text to understand that. But before we begin reading again, I'm going to have to catch us up because a lot has happened between Genesis 3 and Exodus 20. But basically, it's the same pattern that we would expect. In Genesis, we saw that the people uh, were cast out of God's presence. They lost access to the presence of God because of their sin. Well, what would you expect as sin continues to increase? Distance between man and God would increase as well. We see in the very next chapter that sin increases. Cain murders his brother Abel. And the response is this, Genesis 4.16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And so man's instinct after sin is to create distance between them and God. 
But God's desire is for Emmanuel. God wants to be with us. And so the pattern that we see over and over and over is God coming after us, trying to make a way for us to be reunited back into his presence. And so we see this with several figures, important figures throughout Genesis. Abram, God comes to him, and then to Jacob, and then finally God comes to Moses as a response to the people crying out. Well, what are the people crying out about? Well, in the book of Exodus, it's the story of when the people of God were in slavery in Egypt, and God frees them from that slavery, largely through using Moses as his servant. So he comes to Moses in this burning bush and he says, Moses, I'm going to send you on this important task. You're going to free my people. And Moses' response is, who, me? How could I do that? And God's response is not, well, look at all these great characteristics you have. God's response is, I will be with you. And so the presence of God is, is this continual theme throughout the Bible. And as we work our way up to Exodus Uh, 19 and 20, we see that God does free them from slavery in Egypt. And then even while they're wandering through the wilderness, he leads them with his presence through this pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by the day. And so God is showing, I am with you. I am leading you. I am guiding you. He guides them all the way to the foot of Mount Sinai. And then from there, he is going to do something amazing. He's going to demonstrate his presence in this miraculous way. He tells the people to prepare themselves for three days because I'm going to come to you in this cloud, in this smoke, in this fire. I'm going to speak to you so that you can hear my voice and you can know that I am doing something in and amongst these people. And so for three days, the people prepare. They're not even supposed to touch the edge of the mountain. And then we see God descending. This is the text that we read earlier. God descends in this sign, in this demonstration of power. Raw, undulterated, unimaginable power. At first you think, what is this? Is a volcano or something? But it's more than that. It's not, it's fire and it's smoke and it's shaking and it's thunder and it's lightning and the blast of this trumpet that is unexplainable. And then God speaks to the people. They hear his voice. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments. For whatever reason, I always assumed, I guess it's because later in Exodus, in Exodus 24, we see that God gives Moses tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on it that he inscribed with his own hand, right? And I kind of got my timeline mixed up. I always thought that's when the Ten Commandments were given. Well, what happens here is that God speaks the Ten Commandments over the people. And this is a response. He He said to them, here's the deal. I'm going to make a covenant with my people. If you would obey my voice and you would keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. The the people hear this, the terms of this covenant, and they think, "Eh, that sounds pretty good. And their response is, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they agree to enter into this covenant with God. And it is because they enter into this covenant with God that he then shows his power to them. He shows his presence to them. And then he delivers the Ten Commandments to them. Now, I would imagine that as the people are standing there, seeing this incredible demonstration of God's power, 
thinking about, I just committed to do whatever God tells me to do. That was what I just committed to, okay? I'm going to obey his voice. And then God starts going through the Ten Commandments. And I don't know about you, but I don't have to get very far down that list before I start getting a little nervous. Uh Uh-oh. I'm supposed to obey God's voice perfectly? I've failed. And based on the the pattern of my life, I'm expecting I'm probably going to continue to fail. There, I don't matter. I don't care who you are in this room. As you look at the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, honor your father and mother, worship no other gods, do not covet. I, I don't care who you are. Somewhere in that list, there is at least one sin that you have always struggled with, and you're probably going to be tempted by with the rest of your life. And so imagine people are starting to squirm a little bit, right? I have just committed, I'm going to follow everything the Lord says. And then he starts saying, well, this is what my standard is. This is what it means to be one of my people. And they are not only hearing the Ten Commandments spoken out of heaven, but they're also seeing the demonstration of God's power in fire and lightning and thunder. And so what is their response? They begin to be afraid. Look at verses 18 through 20 of chapter 20. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Okay, at first we go, the presence of God is here. He said, I'm going to be here and show you my power. And their response is not to run and to joy in bask in the presence of God, their response is to be afraid and to back and to stand at a respectable distance from the presence of God. Well, there is this incredible demonstration of his power. Have you ever been really close to a lightning strike? Like so close that you hit the ground out of instinct, you didn't even think about it, right? The, the thunder is instantaneous and it shakes everything around you and you go, whoa, that was power. You've had that experience? Now imagine what the people of God are experiencing as they stand on the edge of this mountain. The lightning and the thunder and the earth shaking and the fire and the smoke and the trumpet. And they're saying, whoa, this is power. This is the power that accompanies the presence of God. And what kind of God is he? Well, we are learning that he is a holy, righteous God who has a perfect, righteous standard. And so it is very understandable that they were afraid and stood far off. It is very understandable that they trembled. But Moses, he speaks to them and he tells them, you're missing the point. God is trying to teach you something in this demonstration of his power. God has come, he has brought his presence to this mountain to show you something and to teach you something. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Their instinct is we're here on the edge of God's presence. We're here catching a glimpse of his presence. And I think that if we get too much of this, we're probably going to perish. If we enter fully into his presence, we're going to be obliterated. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, 
so that you may not sin. You're going, okay, hang on, Moses. Let's take just a pause here, take a break. Don't fear. God is doing this so that you would fear. Moses, you might need to sit down and drink some water. I think you spent too much time on the mountain. I think you might be dehydrated. Let's, let's back up a little bit. What are you talking about? Well, here, the word fear being used twice in two very different meanings. And God is saying, the perp- Moses was saying, the purpose of God demonstrating his power was not that he's going to come and destroy you. The purpose of God demonstrating his power was that he was trying to inspire you. Your trembling is wrong, but your reverence is right. And that's maybe even a better word as we think about how we don't really use the word fear in that way. It's always a negative thing. What would be a a better, more accurate word for our language? It would be reverence. It would be respect. It would be awe. It would be that moment when you stand in God's presence and, and you don't know what to say because he is so great. He is so holy. He is so righteous. He's so perfect. And I'm me. And so God, uh, Moses was telling them that you're, you're, there's a wrong fear and there's a right fear. And the wrong fear is thinking that God has demonstrated his power just because he wants to obliterate you. That's wrong. Instead, the right fear actually would protect you against the wrong fear. Think about Adam and Eve. And God gave them the commandment, do not eat of the fruit or you will surely die. When they took of that fruit and they disobeyed God, do you think in that moment they were demonstrating any fear? Apparently not, they didn't believe. Apparently not, they didn't respect and revere. And so they took of the fruit, they broke the commandment. And then what was the result of their lack of fear? Fear. This is what we saw in Genesis 3.10. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So didn't you see the two kinds of fear here? Because they did not fear God in the right way, They fell into sin, which led to fearing that God is going to pour out his punishment on them. And so the right fear of God, reverence and respect of him, protects us from the wrong fear of God. And so we see, as we begin to wrap our minds around this text, and we say, okay, he brought his presence to be with the people. He demonstrated his power, and he wanted them in this moment, because of his presence, to have the right fear of God. What we're going to see is that being in God's presence should compel us to live as God's people. Being in God's presence should compel us to live as God's people. And so... What we have to realize, we're going to call ourselves Emmanuel Baptist Church. God's here with us Baptist Church. Come and find the presence of God at this church. If we're going to call ourselves Emmanuel Baptist Church, we have to realize that the presence of God and the fear of God are inseparable. They go hand in hand. You find one when you find the other. But when I say that, we have to make sure we understand which fear we are talking about. Because the right fear of God doesn't leave you trembling. It leaves you in awe. 
It leaves you humbled. It leaves you in a place of reverence and respect. What I'm trying to think of a similar experience that you can have. And there's nothing that quite compares to the, the reverence that the presence of God should inspire in us. But there are these experiences that you've had where you encounter something in nature and it makes you feel small. Not necessarily insignificant or unimportant, but you stand at the edge of the ocean or you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon or you stand by Niagara Falls and you just go, wow, there's something a lot bigger and more powerful than me. That is a glimpse of the kind of reverence that we should have when we are in the presence of God. Not that you are insignificant or unimportant, but you are put into perspective. I am small. I am weak. I am unholy. He is big. He is powerful. He is righteous. He is holy. And so when we have this right reverence and respect and awe of God, when we have the right fear of God, it changes so much of our lives. When we come into his presence and we leave transformed by that presence, compelled to live as his people, it changes so much. Now don't get me wrong, because we might hear the word reverence and get the wrong picture. We have so much to celebrate Worship should be celebratory. In fact, that's what we're going to study next week, that the presence of God should lead us to celebrate. But understand, reverence and celebration are not mutually exclusive. Worship should not feel somber. It should not feel like a funeral. But at the same time, when we have the right fear of God, what we realize is that worship... The presence of God should just as likely send us to our knees in repentance as it should send us to our feet in praise. And as you can you just even imagine standing on the edge of that mountain? It's being shaken by the very power of God. Can you imagine taking that lightly? Church, I worry that we take the presence of God too lightly. I worry that it's just another Sunday, just another Bible study, just another quick prayer before we eat. You go, don't you realize who's here with us? He can shake this place with his power. He is perfectly holy and mighty and righteous. He's deserving of all praise and all honor. He deserves us to live differently because of who he is and because of what he's done for us. And so when we recognize, when we experience, when we gain the fear of God through being in his presence, it changes so much. We have to realize that God's intention in showing up in this way was to inspire holiness in the people. Moses said, don't be afraid. Have the fear of God so that you may not sin. Meaning that once we come into the presence of God, we should leave 
more holy. We should leave with a greater holy hate of our sin. We should leave because of our reverence and respect for Him with this desire to live differently. So the reverence of God, it actually changes why we try to avoid sin. It's not because we're worried about punishment. Christ took the punishment, right? He took all of the punishment. For every sin that is ever committed and ever will be committed, He took the full wrath of God upon Himself when He died upon the cross. So why are we worried about staying out of sin? Well, guess what? We're not going to continue in sin so that grace may abound. We respect Him too much. We have the right fear of God. We revere Him and we go, no, I have to live differently because of who He is. Think about the teachers you've had or the bosses you've had or maybe the coaches or, or whatever. I got the best grades in classes where I respected the teacher, not where I feared the teacher. I got, uh, you know, I did the best work under bosses where I wanted to earn the respect of that boss. I did the best uh, playing under coaches where I liked them and I felt like they liked me. I didn't want to disappoint them. I had a respect for them. And this is why we avoid sin. Not because we're going to tremble, he's going to punish us. He already poured out the punishment on Jesus. But we avoid sin, we live lives of holiness because of our fear of God, the right fear of God, because of our reverence and respect for Him, because we stand in awe of His holiness. Fear of God should change how we approach our quiet time. I'm going to tell you, on a lot of mornings, I take it too lightly. I don't realize what's happening in that moment. You're not just learning new information. God is coming to be with you, wherever you are, on your couch, in your break room, in your truck, wherever you are. How crazy is that? The king of the universe is coming to be with me in this moment? That should inspire the right fear of God in me. The reason I can speak and I know that he hears me is because Jesus is interceding on my behalf. That should inspire the right fear of God in me. But we also, this should change our quiet time because it should give us a proper, a right emphasis on repentance. What we see from this text is that our sin is the greatest barrier between us and our intimacy with God. No, no, don't get me wrong. I already said Jesus took all of your punishment. You're in no danger of, uh, if, if Jesus is your Lord, he will hold you fast. There's no danger of you falling away and losing your salvation. But our sin is a barrier between us and our intimacy with God. And so if I want to be as close and as intimate with God as possible, that means I need to give some focus and some attention to repentance in my personal quiet time. Let me just tell you, if your prayer life, there's no time where you just sit quietly and say, Holy Spirit, how did I fail? Remind me yesterday of the ways that I felt short. 
And you let the Holy Spirit convict you in that moment. And then in repentance, you say, Father, forgive me. I confess these sins to you, and I trust that you are faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If that's not a part of your daily time with the Lord, then you are not as close to him as you could be because you are not demonstrating the fear of God in your life. Because when we come into his presence, we can't but help to strive to live more faithfully to his call. Think of the Pharisee and the tax collector, this parable that Jesus tells. There's the Pharisee who on the outside, he looks righteous and he looks holy. He says all the right things, he does all the right things, and he comes to worship. He comes into the presence of God and his thoughts and his prayers are, thank you God that I'm not like that person. I do all these great things, and, and it, you must love me so much. But the tax collector, he's over in the corner. And he, according to the Jewish people, is the scum of the earth. He's the one who has betrayed the Jewish people, sided with the Romans. And what is he doing? He's on his knees. And he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. He's beating his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the fear of God. That's having a right understanding of his holiness. A right understanding of what it should look like when we come into his presence. And Jesus tells us that day, only one of those men left worship justified. Only one of those men left worship that day in a right relationship with God. Because only one of those men understood the real fear of God and what it means to be in his presence. And so, a right fear of God, it changes so much. Lastly, I think we need to consider that a right fear of God changes even how we walk into this room. Now, don't get me wrong. This room is not special or holy. We haven't splashed holy water on the walls or anything like that, okay? But we come here with a very specific intention and purpose. We come here because we are desperately seeking God's presence, we come here saying that we are Emmanuel Baptist Church, God with us Baptist Church. And so if that's what we're doing when we come to this place, a right fear of God would transform how we walk into the room. We come in with respect. We come in with reverence. But we also come in with expectation. Because we know that the power of God comes with the presence of God. The power that was mighty enough to shake the mountains, to cause fire to fall from the heavens, that's the power that is going to be in this room when the presence of God is in this room. And so we come into this room with an expectation, an excitement, a holy excitement. What's God going to do? He could do anything, church. The revival that is desperately needed in our community, in our country, around the world, He could do anything. He could start it right here, in this room, in your heart, in my heart. He, he has the power 
transform all of us every time we come into his presence more into the image of his son. And so when we have the right fear of God, we come into this room with a holy expectation and excitement saying, what's God going to do this time? I'm just hoping that it's anything beyond I could even ask or imagine. And that is the right fear of God. That is a reverence and a respect of His presence. Church, what it, what it means ultimately is we want to boil all this down as we think about being Emmanuel Baptist Church. God with us, Baptist Church. The presence of God is here, Baptist Church. We have so much to celebrate, and we're going to spend a whole week on that next week. But first, we have to stop and we have to say, we cannot take God's presence lightly. I think our instinct is that worship should make me feel warm and fuzzy. I don't think the people of God were feeling warm and fuzzy in this moment. I think they were feeling humble. And so we will not take the presence of God lightly if we are going to live up to our name, if we are going to be God with us, Baptist Church. And God is going to be gracious to us because of that. You know, most of the time, as we think about the word fear, it should be associated with a burden, right? If you're afraid of spiders, even that's a silly little thing, that's a burden to you because you're falling asleep and you see a spider on the wall, you're not going to sleep anymore, right? Something's got to happen. Even if it's the person next to you in the bed, go get that spider, right? But that's a burden. Something has to happen. But the fear of God is no burden, Because at the end of the day, our ability to come before him has nothing to do with us and has everything to do with our mediator. Now, that's a big fancy church word or legal term, actually. But this is what we see in our last verse. So just briefly, verse 21. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So remember what the people said. They said, Moses, I think that if we go fully into God's presence... I think we're going to be destroyed. So what we need is we need you to go and talk to God for us, and we need you to come back and to talk to God from God for us. That was a really confusing. Be our mediator. That means the in-between man. You represent us to God, and you represent God to us. And this is what Moses did. He drew near to God, and he brought back God's word to them. And what we learn as you read this uh, parallel account in Deuteronomy is that their instinct was absolutely right. God was pleased with their decision here. If you can read this in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But he says, basically, they were right. I was giving them a glimpse of my presence. Were they to enter fully into my presence, they would have been annihilated. They gained the right fear of God through this experience. And God's response in Deuteronomy 5.29 is this, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments. And so we see God establishing this pattern of providing the man who would stand in between. It's a pattern we see over and over throughout Scripture, beginning now with Moses and culminating in who? Christ. 
our mediator, our great high priest, the one who would represent us to God and would represent God to us. And so, though we only see a glimpse of this truth in Moses, he was a good mediator, but he was not a perfect mediator. We see the fullness of God's grace to provide a mediator in Jesus Christ. And we learn from verse 21 that no person can enjoy God's presence without God's mediator. No person can enjoy God's presence without God's mediator. You know, there are not a lot of details about heaven in, in the Bible. We wish there were more. We wish we could picture it more fully. What we can hope to, what we're going to enjoy, and wish we could describe it and have paintings of it or movies. Unfortunately, the Scripture doesn't give us too much information. In fact, the impression is that the people who get a glimpse of heaven, they don't really know how to describe it to us. But there is one thing that we know absolutely certain about heaven. We know where Jesus is. Scripture tells us clearly that our resurrected Lord is seated in the position of authority at the right hand of God. So picture this in your mind. Maybe you can't picture anything else about heaven clearly, but you can picture Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Why is he there? Because he is our mediator. Because he is speaking on our behalf. He's saying, God, hear my people's prayers because I took my people's punishment. And he is waiting to mediate for you when you fully enter into God's presence. When, you, when this life is over and you appear before the judge of the universe, how could you even begin to explain away all the times that you broke the Ten Commandments? This mountain of sin, you're going to be able to come up with an excuse for all of it? I know I won't be able to, but guess what? I won't have to say a word because I have a mediator. And if Jesus is your Lord, you won't have to say a word. Christ will speak for you. He'll say, Father, welcome them into heaven because I took the punishment for their sin. Wrap your arms around your child because I fully paid the price. And in that moment... Though we, we get to enjoy just a glimpse of God's presence here on earth, in that moment, we will fully enter into his presence with only the right kind of fear, with reverence and respect and awe. There will be no trembling. The author of Hebrews says, because of Jesus, because of how good of a mediator he is, we get to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Church, it's time to respond. What that simply means is the Holy Spirit is, is moving. He's speaking. He's guiding your heart. It's time to do something about this truth. And so what are we going to do? We're going to worship Him with reverence. What does that mean? That means it is just as appropriate to fall on your knees as it is to lift your hands. It might be that there is some secret sin deep in your heart that you've been hiding from everybody. Understand that that sin is a barrier between you and your loving Father. Fall on your knees, come to this altar, and confess that sin to Him. 
And in that moment, I promise you, because it, it's not my word, it's God's word, I promise you, you will feel him draw close to you. Maybe this morning you realize, I need a mediator. I've fallen so short of that perfect holy standard that God set. The only way that Jesus will mediate for you, speak on your behalf, is if he is your Lord, the Lord of your life. If that's a decision that you've never made, today that can change. And today you can know that you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Come and speak with me down front. I'll show you from the scriptures how Jesus can be your Lord and how he can become your mediator. However it is that the Holy Spirit is leading you or moving you this morning, it's time to move. Father, we're thankful for your perfect and holy word. We're thankful for your grace. Father, we're so... We're so sorry that we've taken your presence lightly. Please teach us the right fear of you. Teach us to revere you. Teach us to respect you. Teach us to be in awe of who you are. And then inspire us to live the holy lives that you've called us to live because of that respect. God, we're so thankful that you are faithful to forgive us of our sins if we would confess them to you. I pray during this time of response, God, that you would give the people in this room the courage that they need to be obedient to your call. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you stand with us?